0: first application on the list today is KCIRC. That's a legally distinctive game that is a lot like the game of RISK. Now RISK is, um, actually a pretty good game considering, I mean, if you think about it's, it's, uh, lineage. Sort of growing up against games like Monopoly and Clue, sort of standard household board games, RISK is actually pretty good. I, I used to play it a lot as a kid. It was the it was the most exciting game I think that we had. I mean, we had a couple of other sort of just checkers and chess type games, but in terms of board games, Risk was definitely the most intriguing. And I used to play that. Um, I even had a version of it, or not a version, but I we did a thing where, as kids, we would play Risk, and then when we would go to battle with one another, instead of just rolling die, we would break out a different game and play and play that game to decide the victor of 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 the the risk action now i don't know for sure that we were playing risk correctly at all. I don't think we were. We were very bad about reading rules. Although, to be fair, I don't think that the rules were very well written back then, sometimes even now. So, I have fond memories of Risk, and I hadn't touched it in, in years, but this game has caused me to relearn it, and yeah, it's a fun game. I mean, it's it's a war game, essentially. I mean, it's no Warhammer 40k, or Rain in Hell, or or anything like that, but it it's... It's, you know, you're managing troops, you're sending them out, making tactical decisions, deciding on what you want to risk, and what, what you think you shouldn't risk, and so on, and so, yeah, it's it's a pretty fun game. K-Search does a pretty good job of guiding you through the process. I, I think that's a really tough, that's a tough thing to get right is, you know, in a, in a board game, a computerized board game, how, how to convey to the player what they are able to do right now without also, at the same time, basically being an AI, a low-level AI, and, and sort of pointing the player in a specific direction. I, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of a difficult thing. But the, the concept is this. You, you have some territories on a map, on a world map, and the, the territories are divvied up, and so you take turns uh, deciding who owns what territory. Uh, KCIRC does that part for you. It, 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 puts, it assigns your initial troops across the globe. But you are then able to... you're, you're assigned 40 troops, or, or something like that. And it's 40 on the board game. I, I can't remember if the 40 um, was already... You know, some of that 40 was already assigned by k I don't remember, um, but either way, you assign something like 40 troops to each territory, and I, I think there's probably a maximum number of troops, but uh, functionally I feel like it ends up being three to four foot soldiers per, per territory, uh, because otherwise you would just be, you would just have like really, really strong territories and some really, really weak ones that are, are kind of pointless so you you assign your troops across the globe and then the other person de- assigns their troops and then you each decide what you're going to do uh, on your on your turn and on each turn on each player's turn you can either move troops so if if you if there's a, a territory adjacent to another territory that you own you can transfer troops between those two and then you can also attack and that would obviously be essentially attempting to move troops into someone else's territory. Now, the attack action is a little bit complex, and I don't want to go too deep into it because this is not a tutorial on how to play K- on how to play Risk, but, um... So, that, I think that, that, that part in k Cirk, the, the, the turn order, the turn actions, I, I felt like it was pretty well, well explained. Like, it tells you what you can do, when you can do it, and I feel like that was pretty empowering. Like that was really well done. It sort of it told you like drag and drop from one territory to another to move troops. You do that. It asks you some questions, and then I believe it tells you that you can attack, or or maybe you just you just know that you can attack. I forget. Um, but then you drag and drop from one you know your troops to to an enemy territory, and then all the the dice rolls happen sort of without your intervention. I mean, you have to choose what kind of dice structure you want to use, and that kind of, it depends on the troops that you have available, and what you want to risk. Uh, You can have, I think, up to three die for attacking, and then the defender can have up to two die, and the way that they're rolled and compared is all taken care of by the computer, but it is, it is displayed in the right-hand panel of case So you do, I think, I feel like you have a a more or less a pretty good idea of what's going on. Like you understand, okay, dice has been rolled and, or dice have been rolled and, and now there are the results. Now, if you don't know how, the results are compared in risk then that might be a little bit confusing but i feel like once you do it 3 or 4 times you start to catch on pretty quickly you're, you know you're you're comparing dice to die or die to die and in in ascending to descending order and figuring out what that what what happens after that so i feel like it's pretty good i like k serk i feel like as board games go, or as computerized versions of board games go, I feel like this did a really good job of keeping the players informed of of what they weren't doing in real life. And that, I think that's always the hard thing about a computerized board game. How much do you want the player to have to do, manually, and how much do you want the computer to do, because that's what computers are for. Um, some board games have a high cost of maintenance. Like, you you know, physical board games. Like, you have to do a lot of things. You essentially become the computer for the board game sometimes because there's a lot of, like, cards to, to shuffle, or or dice to roll, or or atmospheric effects to move onto the board. Maybe maybe aliens are, are invading the, the planet, and so now you have to put three alien tokens in, in three different spots across the board. Oh, now it's five aliens, so you have to put five alien tokens, but you have to remove the other alien token, or, you know, one of the player tokens because the aliens outnumber the player. You know, and you're doing all these calculations and all these things between your quote-unquote turn. And that can be, that, that, that's, that can be kind of tough. And sometimes if a computer can do that for you, that's great, right? I mean, that's, that's what computers are for. I felt good about what K-Circ was doing for me and what it was showing me. I never felt really lost. I felt like everything was coming back to me as I was playing. I liked it. I think it's, it's really cool. Um, if you've never played RISK, give this a go. Like, honestly, K-RISK, RISK, Risk, K-Circ, I think it's, it's probably Better than, again, you might think if you associate it with sort of old, boring games that your family would break out obligatorily on, over the holiday breaks. This is actually a, a, a fun game. I'm not saying it's the most amazing war game ever. In fact, I'm I'm saying explicitly that it's not. I'm saying there are a lot of other war games that are a lot better. Check out Rain in Hell by um, uh, Angry Badger Studio, I think it is, from wargamevault.com that's a really good one um, but I mean because then you have you have your troops but but your the different types of infantry or, or whatever have like special abilities and so on based on the, the your choice of you know what you've designated them and you can play it. it it's just a book of rules so you can play it with whatever you can play it with Lego figures or or you know plastic army men whatever you've got lying around and it is a lot of fun but if you're sitting around wanting a board game, on KDE, Kcir is is a great option. You can also play it over a network, so you can do couch co-op with just someone sitting at the computer next to you. And it even warns you, like if you're not doing global domination and you're just doing uh, the the a, a goal, the 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 individual goals then it even warns you that you know, to, to look away from the screen or close your eyes because it's about to show the next player their goal. So you can each have a secret goal uh, of, of what you need to do rather than just taking over the entire earth which can take a long time uh, you know, I used to, when I played Risk as a kid, I don't remember if it was just because we had short attention spans or whether it was because it really did take this long, but we would set it up and and we would leave it up over the course of several days and just come back to it on and off. So it, it can, it can be a long game, which probably is one of its weaknesses. Um, so sometimes the, I think the goal-oriented play maybe would help shorten things, maybe? That's what I'm imagining. Um, but yeah, check it out, really. KSIRC, very well done. Very cool little, little KDE game. KSMTP. What's SMTP? Simple Mail Transfer Protocol. Uh, SMTP is the way that email gets sent to a server when you send Uh, an email message smtp is the protocol for that ksmtp is a library for the kde framework to enable people working on applications that need to send email to just tap into smtp really simple Really simply. Um, that's it's one of those utility libraries that, that is exactly why frameworks exist. Like, you shouldn't have to figure out how to program stuff for SMTP. Like, that's not something that you should be thinking about at the level of when, while you're designing the best user experience for your email application. You should be focusing on user experience. Someone else has already figured out the SMTP component for you. Hopefully, well, they have. It's called KSMTP. Next up is K-Snake Duel. This is a great game. I remember this game from ages ago. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie Tron, or whatever that reboot was, Tron 2. but there's uh there's a, a mechanic in Tron and I, I guess I mean it was the Tron game I guess but you jump on uh, this this bike and you're you're riding it around and as you as you drive you're leaving a trail of neon light energy behind your motorcycle and you're in this arena and so you you're, the objective is to zip around and basically encapsulate your opponent so that, that they have to crash into your, into your trail. Now, if you crash into your own trail, you lose. If you crash into your opponent's trail, you lose. Otherwise, you win. So, you, the, the aim is to continue moving as much as possible without, without boxing yourself in and while boxing your opponent in, while not being boxed in by your opponent. It's a tricky game. It's really, it's really fun, and the, the visuals of Tron, the, 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 the movie and and I probably the game. I, I vaguely remember playing a Tron game maybe at one point or maybe it's just the movie, I don't know, but the visuals, I mean, it's just so cool the the neon lights and the trails and the speed and so on. This game takes that concept and makes it into a rather bland uh, in in visual design snakes, two snakes that are that, that just keep getting longer and longer as they move. Now the good news is that there is, like so many KDE games, an option to change the theme. So if you go to Settings, you go to Configure K-Snake Duel, go down to Themes, there is indeed a neon theme built in and that changes, that that turns your game into neon lights instead of just two boring old snakes. And what a cool, what a cool looking game it is then. Now it's, it's top down, so you're not like zipping around sort of POV or anything like that, but it's still a lot of fun and it's a challenge to try to outsmart in this case the computer and it's not easy it is not easy because the computer's fast you're fast and yeah it's a fun game the the rounds are short they go they they do go quickly i mean it's not it's not crazy fast but there is a limited space that you have to drive around in and of course the computer is trying to make it a little bit hard for you to 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 cut it off uh so it, it 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 goes fast and you can just keep playing and playing until you rack up some points for yourself or until you just get tired of playing so yeah you it's it's easy you launch it you control your motorbike with the arrow keys or I guess your snake officially. You control the snake with your arrow keys, and you start drawing lines. The um, and, and then to restart once you know s- someone crashes, then you just press the arrow key again. The the starting positions appear to be the same each time. I it's y- y- yeah, they they kind of they're kind of middle of the of of the game board, so. Um, I just won that one because the computer screws itself over. Uh, so yeah, so, I don't know, I, I I do feel like there probably could be a little bit more variation in, um, in, in the starting position. But then again, maybe not. I mean, maybe, maybe that would change things a little bit too much. It's a lot of fun, though. Uh, it's a good game. I mean, it's, it's easy, it's easy to like that game. At least for me, because I have vague, vague memories of Tron, uh, the movies, and thinking that they were pretty neat at the time. Oh, and you can play against another player, too. You can play against, uh, you can do couch co-op, or you can play against the computer. Okay, so K-Snake Duel is pretty cool, K-Square, less cool. I mean, it's a fine game, and I, you know, there, there's, yeah, it's very cool, very cool. It's not, not for me, it's not a game for me. So K-Square's is a, apparently you, I, I guess people play this on paper as well, you, you have a, a dotted array, an array of dots and you're, you on your turn you can draw a line between two dots then the computer or your live opponent you can do couch co-op and you can play with multiple players as well and maybe that's the maybe that's the key playing with more than one person but you draw a line uh, on your turn and then someone else draws a line then someone else draws a line if you draw if, if you are able to close it to create one a box uh, a, a single a, out of force out of four dots so the one, so you close four dots into a square. Then you have you 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 gain. That's a point for you. You color it in your your color. So the the object is not to give other people the opportunity to close out a square and and sort of force them into giving you the opportunity to close a square. There's only one move per. There's one line per per move. So it, it is tricky. And I found that the the main mechanic of the game therefore is to stall and you're stalling for for most of the game until everyone has taken all empty sort of non-opportunistic spaces and then someone's forced to draw a line that then creates just you know three three sides of a square and then you get to close that now to make matters i guess worse if you if you can if you can close more than one box on on your turn uh i think they, i think they are yeah adjacent if you can close more than one adjacent box square on your turn then you can close as many as you can so if there's if there's something that sets off a chain reaction then suddenly you're you're closing in six squares in one turn i just feel like there's this weird imbalance to the game where you're you're circling around circling around circling or intentionally not doing the thing that the, the, the win condition and then finally at the last minute all the win conditions happen and i'm sure that's a very satisfying mechanic to some people because that is kind of a powerful feeling when you close off one square oh and that 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 creates another three edge square so i'll close off that square oh and that created another okay so i'll close that off and there's another close that you know and you're doing like six nine twelve twenty four squares all in one go because of just just how the how closing off of you know one box has has rippled through so i'm sure that it is a very satisfying feeling i guess to the victor (laughs) but but playing against the computer i was not doing well but I, i think it goes beyond that i i do i I think that part of the problem for me is just the, the fact that the, the game is 80% not playing the game. You're, or, or, I mean, you are playing the game because you're you're trying to come up with a, a way to draw that line that you have to draw. You cannot abstain. You have to draw a line on your turn. So you're trying to come up with a way to draw that line without giving anyone else the opportunity to then create a, a, a four-sided square. Uh, most squares are four-sided, actually. Uh, a, a, a square. So, I don't know. Not a game for me. Well done. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's another, yet another, um, KDE game. It's, it's it's got, you can play it with four players, so lots of options there, and you have a little bit of control over the, 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 the theme, not, not a complete change i mean the the, the basic theme is a, a white screen with black dots on it but you can change the line color you can change the highlight color so when it flashes to let you know that the computer has has drawn a line and an indicator line color which i don't really know what that is but you have a little bit of um you have a little bit of control i have been playing on the easy setting which uh doesn't make me feel i guess any better about my my skill uh, of that game uh so yeah i could be biased against the game i could think that maybe it's just not a fun game because I keep losing, but honestly I feel like it's more like the pacing of the game that does not appeal to me. And that's my story. I'm gonna stick with it. Okay, let's see what's next, but I mean we're gonna go on a coffee break obviously. It's time for coffee, definitely. But let's see what's after the coffee break. K-squares, K ssh Ask Pass. I know this one. Okay, let's uh, go get some coffee. We'll come back, talk about k ssh Ask Pass. <laughs> back, I've got coffee. I trust that you have coffee. I'm gonna close out this conversation that I was having with Brad after the ZFS um, email. Uh, back up with ZFS. And um, he mentions that... well, he has high praise for a hand... Uh, a, a, gr- a coffee grinder, hand-powered, called the Hand Ground. I have been looking for a hand-powered grinder, and I honestly kind of gave up. Well, no, I didn't honestly kind of give up, Gave up. I, I gave up, uh, and I've acquired an electric, uh, an electric grinder. So I, I, I wish I'd, I, I wish I'd known about this earlier. Although I would have had to find it in New Zealand as well. I mean, I wouldn't have had to, but I, that's what I would have preferred. So yeah. So I have an electric grinder. But anyway, there's a, there's a company called Hand Ground. Just H A N D G R O U N D. Hand Ground, and they have hand powered coffee grinders. I really love the idea of hand, hand-powered hand grinders for, for lots of different reasons. I mean, one, just because, why not? Like, you're... you're I, I don't grind so much coffee... I don't need to grind so much coffee all at once that I can't just crank that with my own hand. That just seems like something that you can do. You don't really need the power of electricity for that. But furthermore, um, it, it would be nice because then you have a, a relatively quiet machine to grind coffee with so that if you are grinding coffee early in the morning for instance at 4:30 5 a.m. which that's when I get up and have coffee and, and have my first coffee of the day so when i'm doing that i would i would have loved to have a quiet grinder so that i didn't wake anyone else up who might be sleeping which which is the case that, like that's the problem so i have to always remember to grind stuff you know in advance so it would have been nice to have a hand grinder i don't have one maybe eventually i'll get one um, but certainly i have I mean, I'll, if if I get one, I'll have to offload the electric one because I can't I can't have two. But yeah, if you're looking for a hand grinder, or if you if you decide that you're going to look for a hand grinder, there's a brand for you, hand ground. He closes his email saying that uh, he's been using FreeBSD pretty much entirely. Uh, he says I love it because of what Linux has become, which in a word would be more. Windows-like. Those are, in quotes, Windows-like. FreeBSD is more pure Unix, which is my preferred experience. My desktop system dual boots FreeBSD thirteen 13- 13.1-release and DevOne, just for some specific uh, applications. But since FreeBSD uses the BSD loader and DevOne uses Grub, I had to learn EFI boot. What a great tool! I've also desi- uh, turned into a huge ZFS fanboy. It is head and shoulders superior to ButterFS, which can't even lose a drive without running the risk of losing data. But it also checksums and protects every block of your data, and therefore can prevent bit rot. And that's his email. This is Clatu again. I, I'm, you know, as you might imagine, I, I don't agree with the idea that Linux has become more quote Windows-like. I, I that that doesn't quite track for me but i do recognize that what brad is saying here is that linux has has lost its appeal for what he wants it to do he he wants a, a certain thing out of linux and and he feels like it it has fallen fallen away from what he he wants it to be which is perfectly fine i think that's that's this is the strength of open source the fact that if if one thing falls away from where you want it to be Ideally, there's another thing for you to fall back on. That's really, really important, and it's not to say that BSD is is the the failover for Linux, but they're failovers for each other, aren't they? I mean, if if one fails, maybe one can pick up where it's failing for you. And that's all right. You know, I've run FreeBSD as a desktop on a laptop. This was several, I mean, it's a a decade ago now, if I can even imagine that. Arguably, because Brad is running DevOne on a partition for a specific application that that apparently BSD cannot do, I guess in a sense, they're still kind of complementing each other. So that's... I think that's good. I think that's where... that's where we want things to be. It would make me a little bit suspicious if if they were both going exactly in the same direction, doing things the same way, I think that we would be weaker for that. So it's very, very good that that FreeBSD and Linux and, and all the BSDs and all the Linuxes are different. I'm not ever really sure how Linux and BSD sort of coexist. I, I don't have a good read on, on the communities at this point, I, I I think I used to think that there was a rivalry there and and I guess to this day I feel a little bit of a rivalry because one license I agree with and one I, I don't love. So maybe there's a little bit of competition there. I mean the fact that BSD doesn't really do great with Linux file systems and vice versa is a little bit strange as well. There's just a, a, I don't know there's a there's a disconnect there that I, I feel like it could be bridged a little bit better. Or maybe I'm imagining it, who knows. Anyway, on to the next application, which is k ask pass This is a useful, useful little application. So, in the previous episode, I did a k-service example where I invoked k-dialog to get a string from the user uh, and then pass it back to the to the terminal. And that's useful. K- a- t- K-S-S-H-ask-pass is that, is K-dialog, but with um, dots instead of letters when you're typing in the thing. So you can open up a, a, a terminal, K-S-S-H-ask-pass, pops up a little dialog box called K-S-S-H-ask-pass. It says, please enter password. So if I can, uh, I'll just type in hello space world. And then hit return. The dialog box goes away, and in the terminal, I see "hello space world." So it is. It is. It it it's basically K dialog, but it's with encrypted or or uh, obfuscated, I should say, uh, character entry. Very useful uh, when you're you know if you're shell scripting or something like that. You want you want a, a little obfuscated password box to open up. K SSH, Ask Pass, is the one to invoke. K-Stars. This is a cool one. Um, so, ever since moving to New Zealand, I have noticed a lot more, uh, the night sky. Because around here there are actually, uh, I think they're called light reserves or something like that. Or dark, dark sky reserves, something like that. And, and it's just, it's places you can go that it's far enough away from man-made light that your view of the sky is is just better and i mean everyone i know has noticed or or everyone i know not from new zealand or who has been away from new zealand long enough to know the difference has noticed it. it 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 really is quite noticeable and it's 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 absolutely beautiful i i never used to be able to see stars and here i can actually see stars i mean and i'm not even talking about with a telescope i'm just talking about looking up into the sky, seeing seeing amazing assortments of stars. So K Stars is all of a sudden a lot more relevant to me. It's it, it's it's uh, it's like being on the inside of a planetarium. It shows you what your 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 sky at that moment looks like, and what constellations or stars are in in view, and and what position they're in, and so on. Now, when you first start it, you have to tell K Stars where where you are on on the planet. And it, it's got a list. It, you, you can't put in your own longitude and latitude. It, it does have a, a predetermined list. So I just searched by country, just New Zealand, and it has a couple of different entries for that, like eight, nine, nine different ones. And the closest one to me is Dunedin. So put that in. It, dete- it knows the longitude for that. Uh, and it offers um, a place to download optional data files to enhance stars. And there's a lot there. I mean, there's a a plugin for um, to to see planetary nebula and Sharpless H I region catalog. Don't even know what that is, but it has a pretty picture next to it. I see images displayed in the details window. Various plugins, none of which I really understand because I'm not that deep into this. I know someone who is, and they could probably explain this. I probably should have asked but I didn't think to ask. And so there you go. Um, the, the, the way I use it though, is I, I simply open K stars and, and look at, at the, at the data that it presents me and it shows, it shows you, and you can click around and, 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 you know, kind of get a different perspective on things. It's very cool. Um, and it shows you what's visible and, and where it is, uh, from, from your, from your viewpoint. Of course when i say viewpoint i, I mean it's not you know it, unless you have a much fancier computer than me it doesn't have like uh it doesn't it, it doesn't know where you it's not cross-referencing like cell towers and and triangulating your exact position on on the planet so you've i've told it my 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 location but and, and it'll show me for some for instance uh one of the one of the very obvious <laughs> um landmarks in the night sky is the moon. So if you can if you know like where the moon is in relation to where you're sitting, then you can position it such that the moon is approximately you know, it where it would be in the night sky. And then you kinda get an idea of okay, so if I see a dot, you know, from the moon a little bit uh south southwest, okay, that's gonna be, let's see, oh, that'll be Saturn from this viewpoint. Or that'll be Venus or the Sun. Sun you can probably recognize. That's probably a good landmark as well. Um and so on. So so it's it's you know it, it's its usage is you're you're still going to be doing a little bit of work yourself, um, but but it is it is very nice to be able to to sort of see 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 what what the dots are that you might be seeing in the sky and, and the relative position of them. I certainly have to combine this with a little bit of research. For instance, sure, r- r- supposedly I should be able to see Rigel from from a certain vantage point right now. Now. Am I actually going to see it? Is that bright spot that I'm seeing Rigel, or is it, um, what would be close to that? Maybe, I don't know, I guess I could probably mistake it for Mars or something. Um, you know, I I have to look that sort of thing up. Find out what you're you're likely to see versus what you're not likely to see. Kind of like the relative brightness, that sort of thing. So, this is a, a general map. I'm not saying that You know, I'm sure that there are probably better tools out there, but if you just kind of want to get a sense for the movement of the stars over the course of a year, this is really cool. And and when I say that you can see it over the course of the year, I, I don't necessarily mean that you have to check in every day. Because, so when you first launch it, it is by default set to the current time, whatever time it is when you launch it. Um, and it advances with your clock, you're not likely to see a whole lot of change that way, but, but that's what it does. But you can set your own time. You can go to time, set time to now, or just set time, and then say, okay, well, what's, this is what the sky looks like right now, but what if I advance it to July of 2023 around, let's say, July 15th? Now all of a sudden I'm seeing things a lot differently things that were there before aren't there anymore things that that weren't there before are there because i've i've gone forward in time now i could you can set the time increment to for instance it starts out i think at 1 second and you can set it to like 1 minute 1 hour 1 1 day uh, or 1 sidereal day 5 days uh 3 weeks uh 9 months is that 9 months well a month anyway cuz cuz you can always adjust Uh, what how many months so now i can step back in time by i I just set it to two months so you can you can you can literally see how the sky is going to change over the course of a year within a couple of moments because you you have control over that so that's really really cool another really fun thing is to look at things like constellation names and constellation art probably not something you're going to keep on for for a very long time but i mean it is really fun to see to see sort of like The constellations as you see them in the books you know and it it just makes it makes those dots i don't know a little bit more significant in a weird way i might guess that's why they invented or you know came up with the idea of constellations so it is it's very, very fun. It's a very cool application. It 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 isn't, like, magic, I guess. I mean, it it, it is a very interactive thing. You kind of have to think about what you're seeing, and if you're not thinking about it, then it just looks like an assortment of dots. But if you look at it, and you go outside and look at the night sky, it starts just, you start to actually coordinate the two together, and it becomes pretty darn meaningful. So K-Stars is a lot of fun. It's It's a very, very cool application, and it's just... There it's just on your computer. That's one of those things that I don't I, I really don't think I would have gone out and I, and I know there are very good applications out there like uh, what is it still 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 or something like that I mean they're out there 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 are applications out there that 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 do that this sort of thing And I'm sure there are very cool phone apps that that you can point up at the sky and it probably you know Triangulates and and AI and stuff like that and does really cool things as well But this one is just right here. It's just there on your desktop anyway. So it's a lot of fun to open it up and and just kind of track things. I, I really I, I quite enjoy that one All right, next up is K Sudoku. Now, I'll be honest. I had never played Sudoku until uh, middle of 2022 it Just I just hadn't occurred to me. I I heard people talk about it I just didn't know what it was didn't really care about it wasn't interested and then someone got me started on it and I and I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, it is the coolest little puzzle. It is the simplest thing. I mean, it's just, it's just an array of numbers, but it feels like it's infinitely complex, and there are lots of different approaches to it, and it it, it entices logic and brute force and And deduction it's a very fun game so if you don't know what sudoku is it is a nine by nine array and what you know is that the array will have numbers in it one through nine repeated several times the trick is that or or rather the the prompt is that there will be a number there will never be the same number in the same row, column, or three by three grid starting from the top left. So if you think of a nine by nine grid and then divide it into three blocks, then you have three by three grids within that nine by nine grid. So those are your 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 quadrants, I guess. I mean they're not quadrants, they're whatever that would be for nine. I sh- I feel like I should know that, but I can't think of it right now. So you've got these 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 sections, and you know that number the same number cannot be in this in each three by three grid. So it's going to be one through nine. One through nine, 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 one through nine. But then, if you look at it sort of globally from a a, a bird's eye view, then you also know that it'll be one through nine in a column and a one through nine in a row. And with that, you are given a couple of starter numbers. Some numbers will be in. I mean, that's the 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 puzzle that's generated is is some pre-filled numbers, and you are meant to fill in the numbers around those that have already been given to you. This is a you know a pen and paper game that you're likely to see in your weekly newspaper. I mean it's it's all over the place. And the advantage of, of I guess playing it on the computer is well that it's it's where you are. You're you're on the computer right now, so I guess it's nice that, that you've got Sudoku sudoku so, so, so on the computer. But there are other little advantages and so for instance here is a um here's a square here's a three by three square well i'll focus on for now and it's it's five blank six nine seven one two blank four so i know from from that from the rule that there there cannot be the same two numbers in one three by three grid i know that those two blank squares must be one must be a uh, let's see nine eight an eight seven six five four and a three because those are the only two numbers not filled in. So let's pretend for a moment that I don't know anything else about this puzzle, and and that's the only information I have is just I, I just know that those two it's going to be either a three or an eight, which is significant because that means that in this column there can't be another three or an eight because both three and eights are spoken for in this quadrant or this, this three by three square. Um, but I still don't know which one it is so because I'm on the computer I can select three on the left in the left number column here and then right click on both squares and that enters a small little three it's like a little annotation and then I'm gonna do an eight as well and right click right click so now I've got a three and an eight in both of those two squares which is useful because now I know while I'm trying to solve other parts of the puzzle that a three and an eight one way or another certainly are in that column and Either a 3 or an 8 is in that row. Now, as I solve more parts of the puzzle, I might be able to deduce from, from some other number that I fill in. For instance, let's say on the top row, I end up filling in a 3. Beyond the shadow, a shadow of a doubt, I know that the 3 has to be there for some reason. Maybe, you know, maybe that's just the, the only number left in the in the adjacent quadrant, or 3 by 3 grade, whatever. Um, so then I know definitively, oh, well, the, the top one in my, in my other one must be an 8, and the bottom one must be a 3. And so I, I just, again, select on the number 3, and left click this time on the box to make it a 3 left uh, click on an 8 left click to make that an 8 now there are there's a faster way to do all, both of those things so for instance let's say i i am in a different square and i know that it has to that i i found a square that is a uh let's just arbitrarily say a 4 so now i can press just 4 on my keyboard and it fills in four. Now, if if the computer knows that it's wrong, it actually highlights it red. Which maybe that's maybe that's easy mode a little bit. That that might be a little bit of an easy mode. Um, there's probably a way to turn that off, but um, I don't know. It is kind of nice to get get that prompt uh, in in real life. You you don't obviously on pen and paper you you don't get the the instant alert that hey, that's wrong. Um, But maybe you're not sure if it's a four anyway, so maybe instead of doing four, you would you would press shift four and that does the little pencil-in mark. And then when you're sure that it's a four, you click just or you you press four. So it's quite nice and you can use arrow keys to um, to navigate. So you don't even have to use the the mouse or you can use the mouse and then the the um, the the keyboard as well. So, lots of options and it is just really really nice and flexible. Of course, it is a KDE game. There are themes. There's um there's just, you know, sort of white uh, black ink on white paper just like you would see sort of on um on the on a newspaper and there's a a, a sort of a dark mode uh, which I I guess yeah, I guess the dark mode is not the default. Oh, it's Egyptian that's the default. That does not look Egyptian to me. I guess it kind of looks Egyptian. But anyway, There you go. It's really nice little application. Um, Just beware if 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 you have not played Sudoku Sudoku and um, and are and are just getting introduced to it through me. I'm sorry. Don't go near that application. Honest. It will take up evenings of your life because it is so much fun and you know the 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 trouble that the problem isn't isn't the the puzzle the puzzle is is what it is The, the the problem is the thirst for for more the 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 constant daring of yourself i could do this puzzle with fewer numbers given to me and fewer numbers and you start to whittle it down and then you get into the place where you, you get some numbers and you think oh I'm doing it I'm doing it and then you don't do it and but then you can't stop because now you you've, you've promised yourself you were going to do it and so yeah it it it's dangerous is all I'm saying anyway let's see what time it is yeah it looks like there's a little bit more time for one more this is k system log this is a great little application I I'm, I'm not really sure why it's not maybe just rolled up with k info Center to be honest but I guess I guess there's probably an advantage to having it as its own application, just because it, it, it does a, a specific set of things, so I guess it it does technically make sense as its own application. It's a GUI log viewer, and you might think, why would anyone want that? And and indeed, why would anyone want that? But, I mean, then again, why would anyone want K-Info Center? I mean, it's just, sometimes it's a nice option to have, and that's what this is. It's an option to look at logs through a GUI viewer. And, you know, I think, I, I think there's power here because is people often do ask did you check your logs and if you aren't someone who necessarily knows where logs are then that's an obtuse question like no i didn't check my logs what are logs and how do i find them well k system log that's how you find them let's see if i I just go to the k menu log does that bring that up not as quickly as i would have hoped or rather not as obviously as i would have hoped in fact i don't see it now here it is third one down that's weird. Kcalc and Simple Screen Recorder come up under log before ksystemlog. Oh, logarithmic maybe for the calculator? I don't know. Yeah, Okay, that's weird. But yeah, so you could find it through there, right? I mean, that would that would present itself eventually. Um, when you launch ksystemlog, it prompts you for a root password to give you permission to see some of the logs that you wouldn't otherwise be able to see. The top toolbar lists three logs that you can view. System log, kernel log, xorg log. There's a logs menu which gives you a couple more system log, kernel logs, uh, xorg, cron, and cups. But if you go to, K, uh, to, to settings, configure K system log, then you get a you get a sort of an overview of of really all the ones that that you might want to look at. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, sort of how it decides what to show in the toolbar and what it doesn't show. Um, but they're here in the configure uh, panel anyway. And, and, and it does tell you where these logs are coming from. So if, if you if you think to go to the configure uh, menu, then you can see, for instance, here's the acpid log. And that's coming from var log acpid. It's not actually, it doesn't actually exist on this system because it, this is a desktop and I don't need that. Uh, Apache logs, here's the var log Apache 2 error log and the var log Apache 2 access log and so on. So you can kind of click through there and and learn just by, by configuration where these logs do exist so that if next time you decide to look at, at, at your logs because you, you, you want to troubleshoot something, well, now you know where to look. I mean, if you don't have this GUI viewer available or if you think that this GUI viewer isn't uh, the best way to do it, then at least you know kind of where to poke around. Kind of nice, too. There's an add log entry, which that just I like that, you know, because I've 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 certainly used that trick before, where you add a some kind of delimiter to a log just so you know, okay, well, from this point on, now I'm trying the new stuff. So then when you're looking through logs, you know, you see the big message to yourself in your log file. So that's I think that's a nice feature. And that's everything for k system log. And that's just so user bin k system log. And that's it. That's everything. That's everything for this episode as well. Thanks for listening. benefit from it.